0: Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, But First Pivot. I'm Danny, registered dietitian, certified sports dietitian, and CEO of Pivot Nutrition Coaching. I'm here to share my all foods fit approach and real life client success stories to inspire you to pivot away from all the fad diet nonsense and confusion. My goal is to simplify nutrition so you can enjoy foods you love like donuts and pizza and still achieve your health, performance, and body composition goals. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Another special guest on the podcast today. My friend Priscilla Barnes from Texas is in the house. Before we talk about all things PCOS, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself?
1: Sure. So, um, my name's Priscilla Barnes, I am a nurse. And nutritionist and personal trainer. I own my own business, Wellness in Bloom, and I really am all about helping people take action today for a healthier tomorrow. So, kind of addressing lifestyle changes with nutrition, movement, and mentality to really prevent disease and heal any current health frustrations.
0: Love that. And I'm excited to have Priscilla on the podcast, not only because she has experience working with individuals or working with women with PCOS, but Priscilla, you have PCOS yourself, correct?
1: I do, yes.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll dive... Well, not awesome, but... (laughs) (laughs) Not awesome, but it's great that you have that firsthand experience and can speak from personal experience. But before we dive into you know, your experience with PCOS, I think that we need to explain what PCOS is. So how would you explain or define PCOS for those who maybe have never heard it or those who have heard it and just maybe Googled it and are still confused?
1: Sure. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the name really needs to be changed, in my opinion, because someone can have this disease situation or imbalance and not have cystic ovaries, which it's really a misnomer. So PCOS is actually androgen excess. Androgens are the male hormones that every female has um, alongside estrogen, right? Progesterone, those are considered like you know the non-androgen ones, but like testosterone, this is the one that's most common. It's when these are elevated, these androgens are above a normal level in women. Um, now, you can also have cystic ovaries, right? And have PCOS, obviously. Um, but I think it's just important when we talk about what is PCOS that women need to know, and I don't hear many doctors talk about this, but cysts, seen on an ultrasound does not automatically mean that you have PCOS because cysts seen on an ultrasound are actually follicles or eggs. And that's normal, right? When cysts become abnormal is when they're large, you know, and that's a different part problem than PCOS, um, like large cysts. I'm talking about like, if it's a hemorrhagic cyst or things like that, that's not PCOS, but, um, these polycystic aspect of PCOS, um, just isn't true for every female. What is true and is always present is an androgen excess.
0: Mm -hmm. And how would you describe androgen excess in terms of what that looks like?
1: So it can look different for a lot of women. One of the biggest, um, or I would say like most prominent red flags would be irregular cycles uh, because our ovaries, you know, are affected by this androgen excess. And so it can affect ovulation, which in turn will affect your cycle length. Um, you may have a missing cycle. Um, you might have period or cycles that are way too long. You may not be ovulating. Um, and then the other thing with androgen excess are the symptoms that people probably care about more because they're so freaking annoying. And that would be like excessive hair growth. Um, it could be excessive body hair. It could be hair thinning and then also acne. And that's obviously a lot of other things can lead to those symptoms, but, um, specifically like the facial hair that's, or like body hair excess, that's going to be an androgen excess. But, um, you know, those symptoms usually are due to an underlying androgen excess.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's helpful that you mentioned more signs and symptoms. Just because I feel like people have irregular cycles more often than not mm-hmm. um, for so many reasons, right? Maybe it's uh, low body fat. Maybe it's excess exercise. Maybe it's under eating. Um, you know, all different reasons. So just having an irregular cycle is not like, oh, I don't have a regular cycle. I might have PCOS. It's a combination of multiple things.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, so (laughs) there's a big problem there. So, um, I can tell you a little bit about my, my story with PCOS because there was a major misdiagnosis. And so I, in my early twenties, I noticed I had like excessive, like facial hair along like my sideburn area. And then I grew up my entire life, extremely active. I ran cross country. I was very health conscious. I ate really well. Um, but I would have really irregular cycles, and my gynecologist at the time was like, Okay, well, you have PCOS, so here's birth control, it'll help with those symptoms, and you'll have a regular monthly bleed. Switch to four years ago, um, I came off of birth control because I felt like a crazy person, and thank God I came off of it because. What a lot of people don't know about the birth control pill is it increases your risk for stroke. Um, and my father, like a month or two after I came off of birth control, actually had, a, an, had an ischemic stroke. And so I would have stopped taking it anyway. But what happened when I came off of birth control is I never got my period. It is normal for women to have a delayed time frame coming off of birth control for your hormones to normalize. But what is not normal is is for it to take longer than three months to get your cycle back. Um, Granted, my baseline was abnormal, so you're kind of like, okay, well, we got to give it time. But after two years of trying to get it back, I found a doctor who told me I did have polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. However, what he said is I actually think that you probably have both. Hypothalamic amenorrhea and PCOS. And that's what I want to just clarify with people is because there are so many similarities between hypothalamic amenorrhea and PCOS. And I think there's a lot of women who actually have hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, but they've been told that they have PCOS and the treatment for them is completely different. Um, So hypothalamic amenorrhea would present with absent or irregular cycles, just like polycystic Ovarian syndrome. You would also have polycyst- polycystic ovaries. Um, you could also have facial hair. You could also have um, an, uh, like no periods, right? Like abnormal cycles because you're not ovulating. But the difference is going to be in what's called your LH to FSH ratio. So something to look out for if you're like, is it PCOS or is it hypothalamic amenorrhea? would be in PCOS, you're going to have a high LH to FSH ratio, and in hypothalamic amenorrhea, you're actually going to have a low LH to FSH ratio. And what my doctor, another difference too that my doctor saw on my ultrasounds when I would do them is I actually had a really thin uterine lining. And what this is indicative of is low estrogen levels. Someone with PCOS is going to have a thickened uterine lining. Um, And so it's just so very different. Um, And I'm happy to talk about, you know, like hypothalamic amenorrhea or whatever, but it's really important to rule that out. Because like I said, the treatment is so drastically different um, for hypothalamic amenorrhea than it is for PCOS.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. There's so many similarities, but at the end, there's some very obvious differences. Um, how would you, or how do people get? What is the diagnosis for PCOS? Like, what are the actual? Are there actual like check boxes? Like, hey, if you have X, Y, Z, PCOS, is it that obvious, or is it more complicated than that?
1: Um, I would say this is my personal opinion. This isn't like scientific or medical, but I think if you go to a medical doctor and You know, you have obscure hormone imbalances, obscure symptoms, irregular cycles, they will more than likely tell you you have PCOS. I find that PCOS is an umbrella term for a lot of women with abnormal cycles. However, they do have to go through checklists. They should, whatever. And those checklists would be to find, actually to find um, cystic ovaries, to have irregular cycles or long cycles, um, to have elevated androgens, which there's, there's like more than one. It's not just testosterone. It could be your DHEAS, um, for example, but, you know, to look at those things and check that out too. So they would, check off those things. There is also something like if you're coming off of birth control pill to keep in mind as well, you can have post pill PCOS. So like, um, kind of gauge how was your cycle? If you are someone coming off of it, how was your cycle before the pill? Give it time after to kind of normalize, replenish what the birth control pill might have depleted. Um, but there's a way and a treatment for that as well.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It sounds like from ex- your experience with one doctor and then the different doctor that if the first doctor you see seems, I don't know, like skeptical to get a second opinion.
1: Oh my gosh. I used to leave the doctor's office crying. Like I can't tell you the number of times like dealing with PCOS that I I was, I felt like crap. Like I just felt like I wasn't heard. I saw in my twenties, I probably saw four different doctors and then I was like, screw it. I'm over this. And then I finally found an endocrinologist that, um, wasn't rude to me (laughs) and was actually nice and understanding. And I went through like the typical treatment for things with her, with PCOS. Like I was on birth control. I was on metformin for a short period of time. Um, I was on spironolactone for a short period of time. Uh, but in the end, she just ended up putting me on birth control too. And I stopped all those other meds, but yeah, there's your doctor should be on the same page as you. And if they're not, you need to go find a new doctor and you always need to advocate for what, you know, um, I recently, that same doctor. So I ended up healing myself of like, I didn't have a cycle for two years when I came off of birth control pills. And I ended up assessing, well, maybe there's a lot of excessive stress in my life. I'm a caregiver for my father. I had a lot of family stuff going on. So I assessed a lot of that. And then I also increased my food intake to, I did a reverse diet. I was eating closer to 2,500 calories a day. Um, and I was able to get my cycle back. And so that aspect was healed. And then it was kind of like these other things, these other, um, like making sure that my cycle became regular too. Uh, but that doctor that I had at the time, like who I really was, you know, in line with the same belief system and everything around it, I still had to advocate for myself, you know, like I still had to make sure I got certain blood work that I felt needed to be tested Um, and all those types of things. So always find the right doctor for you. They are out there. And even with the right doctor, you still have to do what's right for you when you're asking for lab work or treatment that's in line with your uh, values. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I feel like some people see the same provider, you know, for years and years and years. And one day, they just decide like, you know what? I don't think this is the right person for me. And then they way yeah. away. That happened recently with one of our clients who is struggling with, uh, you know, PCOS, diabetes. And she's like, yeah, my my doctor is kind of an a-hole and he won't listen yeah. to me. And I feel like he doesn't listen. And I go, well, I have a recommendation for you. It might be, you know, a two to three hour drive for your initial um. But, you know, like she actually like works with PCOS and she understands it and she's so sweet and she is a great listener. Um, So, you know, they had a visit and she's like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe that I've been working with this one doctor for so many years and I meet this one provider one time and it feels like I'm finally being heard.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah, Yeah.
0: And... People leave like with tears of joy, like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm, you know, finally getting some answers. Um, So if you feel like you have a poor relationship with your provider, maybe they don't listen to you. We are telling you to advocate for yourself and, you know, find someone who really listens and, you know, who can really support your journey because they're out there, like you said. That's right.
1: Yes, they are.
0: Um. Now, let's say that you do get diagnosed with PCOS. Now, I know there are different types. Do you want to briefly dive into the different types of PCOS, Priscilla, before we talk about some recommendations on what to do once you are diagnosed?
1: Yeah, we can do that. So, I I but I think it's important to to just not get too hung up on like what type because I've actually never had a doctor be in line with like, well, it's this type of PCOS. So let's do that. You know what I mean? So It's, um, important. it's not as important. I would say what's more important is to number one, make sure it's not hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. And I'll just reiterate, I, I told my doctor, I didn't have that. I was like, I don't have, cause a lot of women who have eating disorders have hypothalamic amenorrhea. And that's what I associated that with. And I was like, I do not have an eating disorder. I eat enough food. I've worked with a dietitian like, and I ha- I thought at the time that I had, had good stress management, but your body doesn't really care what you think. <laughs> it only knows what it needs. And so if you're not ov- period, if you're not having a period, that means you're not ovulating. And even if you're having, you know like you think it's your are an ovulatory cycle. So if you're having cycles where you're not ovulating, something is not right. And it could mean you have too much stress, you're under eating carbs, or you're working out too much.
0: So ovulation is the real MVP.
1: Ovulation is a real MVP because it's how you make progesterone and progesterone is the real MVP. If you want to be healthy as you age as a woman, it has so many neuroprotective, cardioprotective aspects to women's health and wellness that a lot of people don't talk about. And if you want to have strong bones, you don't want to have osteoporosis as you age, and you don't want to be a frail old lady, you need to be ovulating. And to get that done, that's how you're going to make your progesterone. So um, first thing I would do is rule out hypothalamic amenorrhea, which I don't think a lot of doctors do, uh, because they see someone who's a healthy weight, and they think, X, Y, Z, not this, whatever, but it's possible. Um, take it from me. And then the second thing I would do, make sure it's not um, hypothalamic amenorrhea. I would, I don't care what kind of PCOS you have, how long you've had it, whatever your treatment, even if you go on birth control, whatever your choices are there, you've got to address insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is the underlying cause of so many of the pain points when it comes to PCOS. And until you address insulin resistance, you're not going to heal any symptoms of PCOS. It is PCOS actually is insulin resistance of the ovaries. And so if you want to decrease the androgen excess you need to address insulin resistance. Um, And so that is the number one thing that I would tell you to do if you've been diagnosed and insulin resistance, you may not even have insulin resistance. You may not, you may have a normal hemoglobin A1C. You might have a normal fasting blood sugar level. It doesn't matter. You still need to address it because if you have androgen excess, you have underlying insulin resistance. Insulin resistance also can lead to inflammation. And a lot of the uncomfortable situations involved with PCOS are driven from inflammation. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, we talk a a lot about blood sugar balance Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Um, Now, with the insulin resistance, is there a way for people to find out if they have insulin resistance?
1: Yeah, you could check your insulin, your fasting insulin levels. You could do a fasting glucose tolerance test. But... I, even my clients, like people I work with who don't have PCOS, who are maybe like over the age of 50, but we know they probably have insulin resistance. I don't even ask them to get it tested. It's like, I, if you're a human being on planet earth, you are prone to getting insulin resistance because as we age, it is very common. It's one of the reasons people age poorly because they become more insulin resistant. Um, if you have PCOS, (laughs) I wouldn't even worry about testing. I mean, it's a part of your life. So, and you're better off for it because you're going to age better by addressing it now. So it seems like, oh, I have to deal with all this stuff. Well, actually it's a hurdle that's going to make you stronger and healthier as you age. And the flip side of that too is women with PCOS are at a greater risk for metabolic dysfunction. As they age, they're at a greater risk for cardio, like heart issues. As they age, they're at a greater risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease all of those things can be addressed and prevented by one thing. And that is decreasing inflammation in your life. And the source for inflammation for so many people is insulin resistance. So I just would do it like act like you have it and work on um, addressing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's why we talk so much about blood sugar, balance meals and snacks with our clients mm-hmm. and on the podcast because the funny part is, is, people are like, oh, Danny, no, like, I don't have diabetes. It's like, I don't care if you have diabetes or not. Blood sugar balance is life.
1: It's 100% life. And it is 100% more than eating a donut. I was, um, I went to the ER for, in the midst of all this, like, one year after coming off birth control, I had some major stomach pains. And I went to the ER, I was, like, probably at the time, 15 pounds lighter than I am now. I, um, was working out regularly eating really healthy. Um, turns out I had, um, like an inflamed, uh, small intestinal thing, but during my time there, they did a ultrasound and no one told me, but I had (laughs) fatty liver. Like I had, um, the you know like the clinical name for that on my imaging, but no one addressed it with me, and I never would have known that that's that would have been a problem because I ate so healthy. Well, you know what? I still probably had some lingering some type of insulin resistance because your blood sugar is affected by stress, your gut health, it's affected by your sleep, by so many other things than sugar um, that you consume, and so. You may not be eating donuts and you might think, oh, well, I I don't have insulin resistance. I would just guess that you do, you know, and look at the full picture of things that can affect your blood sugar as well.
0: Mm -hmm. What would you say are your top three tips for, you know, insulin resistance?
1: I would say walk, walk every day. It is the golden ticket to a happy, healthy life with Decreasing inflammation and promoting blood sugar balance. Um, and it's also a good reminder that if you can, it's a small things pay off. Like you will literally decrease your blood sugar spike after a meal if you go for a five minute walk after it. You don't have to do anything crazy, but I would say walk every day. Um, uh, the second thing would be to have protein with every meal and snack. And the last thing would be to get good, high quality sleep. And to in that process of getting good, high quality sleep, make sure you don't have sleep apnea. A lot of people are sleeping eight hours, but they might be getting poor quality sleep without knowing it. And sleep apnea will affect your blood sugar balance the next day. Um, and so it's, it's important to rule that out.
0: But yeah, I love those three very simple recommendations for insulin resistance. Walking daily, protein at each meal and snack, and adequate sleep. These are not, we're not asking people to do hard things, right, yeah. Priscilla? These yeah. are very simple things that anyone can implement daily.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's a, I think people get overwhelmed. There's so much um, advice out online that we kind of go for the crazy things rather than being consistent with the, you know, the foundational pieces. So, um, yeah. Those are the best ones.
0: Love it. Well, let's dive into a few questions um, that people submitted for our PCOS podcast. The first one was, I was told to go low carb now that I have PCOS. Is that true?
1: I think it depends. Um, I would just want people to know that PCOS covers... literally an ocean of women. And all of those women have different genetic makeups, different lifestyle habits, and also potentially other health issues going on. And if you are someone who is running four times a day and extremely active, you better not go low carb, you know? But there are women, and I've spoken to them, who have done keto or low carb and they feel amazing, but also they're not the most active ones, you know? So, um, I would not, I would avoid trying to put a one size fits all approach on PCOS. Um, and I would just say it always depends. I think you likely need to go before you go low carb, you need to switch to nutrient dense carbs. Make sure that every carbohydrate you're consuming is nutrient-dense, serves a purpose in your health and wellness, and it's not um, donuts and candy, you know. Um, Switching to higher fiber, you know, fruits, vegetables, things like that will really change your life first before you go low-carb.
0: Right, because I feel like when people decide to go low-carb, they don't currently have a well-balanced diet. The
1: yes. quality of
0: carbohydrates—it's not there. They're—I would say—they're eating a typical American diet. Yeah, and then they decide, oh, I want to be healthy. I want to lose weight. I'm just going to cut carbs. When step one would be, let's improve the quality of our carbs by focusing mm-hmm. on more nutrient-dense ones that are rich in fiber and vitamins and minerals, like you said, like. Hundred percent whole grains and beans and legumes and nuts and seeds, fruits and veggies, rather than let's just cut carbs out. And yeah,
1: stuff. yeah. And it's it's tempting, you know, because people who do that, who do cut carbs a lot, and I'm not saying you know maybe you do need to go to everyone's different because you got to look at your baseline. Maybe someone's eating too. It's possible, even with healthy food, to be eating too much, too many carbs. But you got to remember your thyroid, your hormones, your Ovulation requires adequate carbohydrate intake, and so if someone goes low carb, they better be ready to assess: is your thyroid function still optimal? Is your um, is your cycle happy? Are you ovulating? Um, and look at all the potential red flags of doing so.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, what about next question? Are there any supplements you recommend to help with PCOS?
1: Yeah, this is kind of the same thing with like going low carb. I think there's great recommendations for a lot of different people. But again, it's not a one size fits all uh, because there are supplements that you can take that would actually lower estrogen levels. And in my case, that would have been horrible because I actually had low estrogen levels, you know. Uh, but the number one, the number one um supplement, I would say everyone with PCOS needs to take is magnesium. Um, You got to have enough magnesium in your life. It's going to change your life. If you do go with magnesium glycinate, usually that's my top recommendation. Um, And then there's a lot of other like herbs and teas and things like that that are beneficial. But I think safe wise, like magnesium is a really good one um, for everybody.
0: Love magnesium glycinate. Mm -hmm. It's probably... In my top three supplement recommendations. Yes. For so many reasons. Yeah. What about, I'm curious, what about inositol? I feel like that's often a recommendation for PCOS. What are your thoughts on that?
1: My my thoughts are kind of biased because I was on it for a very long time and I didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's probably one of the top researched and top suggested ones. Like, if I was, I would recommend that for someone for sure because it doesn't really cause many things. It just I didn't I don't know, I didn't love it. Um it didn't seem to do much for me, but it's probably because mine was like I had the HA piece as well. And so um inositol is a great one. My own inositol is good. You can get it in powder and then mix it in your coffee or whatever. Um but it's um I think it just it depends again. But it's been shown to really help with ovulation.
0: Would you say that someone should definitely talk to their provider before taking it if they have?
1: PCOS? Yeah, or their coach. I mean, I don't know. Actually, my provider did recommend my own acetol. I don't know if most providers, if they're not into supplements, but I would talk to them for sure. Yes,
0: magnesium is the answer. If we're gonna... there, you go. Yes, <laughs> magnesium foods and magnesium glycinate. Um, now we already talked about a few questions that were asked about, like how does PCOS affect, um, you know, a menstrual cycle? Um, any, anything from an exercise standpoint, cause I know that you also are a personal trainer, you know, you've been through all the PCOS things, any like kind of lifestyle besides walking, anything from an exercise standpoint that you recommend for those with PCOS, like is something better than something else?
1: Yeah. I think one thing that's important to remember is there's a lot of recommendations online, like don't do hit workouts. Don't do XYZ workout if you have PCOS. The bottom line, if you think of it as a pyramid, right? Like the baseline of that piece for exercise for women with PCOS, you have to be moving. You need to move your body. You need to find something that you love to do. If that's a, if that's a workout class, if that's swimming, um, if it's bicycling, whatever it is, yoga, stretching, whatever, you need to find that and you need to implement it in your life because physical activity will transform your health. It will help balance your hormones as well. And then as we build up the second piece, I would say is you need to be doing something that builds muscle. And the reason is your muscle, the more muscle mass you have, the less likely you are to become insulin resistant. And so you don't have to get into power lifting, but you need to be do, doing something that helps you build muscle. It's gonna decrease your um like blood sugar spikes and all those types of things. So after you find something that you love to do, I would incorporate some form of resistance training at least twice a week. Um, and then on top of that, there is such a big stressor that comes alongside uh, PCOS and its symptoms, whether it's trouble getting pregnant, whether it's the side effects, the facial hair, the acne, missing periods, all that stress, um, a lot of like, you know, you may not feel good about yourself you need to make sure that your working out is helping you and not hindering you by adding to your stress levels, you know? Um and so that's where it's really helpful to have like a second person kind of come in and be like, "Well, maybe you cut back on the hit workouts, right?" Um or cut out on running. Not to say that's what you need to do, but there might be some tweaking that needs to be invo- involved depending on everything, you know? Mhm. Yeah,
0: so number 1, moving always Trump's not moving, right? We yes. Do, um, strength training, which I emphasize so much on the podcast. Um, and the last episode was on uh, metabolism. And it's so important to strength train for so many reasons, but definitely for insulin resistance purposes. And of course, like if someone is running every single day or doing hit every single day, but not lifting weights, I might be like, okay, let's find a balance between you know, running, which you love and the strength training, which you need.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And you need to, yeah, it's all about the balance. And sometimes when you're only chasing a weight loss goal, you don't, it's hard to see the balance there, but you know, exercise has the power to increase your cortisol levels too, you know, like affect you long-term. So increase inflammation too much. So affect your hormones negatively. So make sure it's not doing that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And since you just mentioned weight loss super briefly, I know that a lot of people with PCOS struggle with weight management. Would you say it's because of that insulin resistance and inflammation?
1: Yeah, it's because of the androgens. So the excessive amount of androgens can you know, make it harder to lose weight. And you're not crazy if you think that you're doing everything right and not seeing progress. However, that doesn't mean it's not possible. You can lose weight you can change your body. It just might need to be a little bit different than you think it's going to be.
0: Before we close out this super fun episode on PSOS, I feel like people are going to be like mind blown. Um, Any final things, takeaways, like something that you really want the listeners to know, as we kind of close out this PSOS conversation, like, I feel like, Maybe people are like, ah, they just said so much. I need to re-listen to it and take notes. Like, what's the one thing that you really want people to walk away with when it comes to PCOS?
1: Um, I would say just to know that, um, you're not crazy because I think that PCOS can be a very like mentally, it can be a huge mental burden. Um, it can make you feel really bad about yourself. Um, I have been there, uh, when your body, if you're not losing weight, like you think that you should, if you have bad acne, weird hair growth, your hair's thinning, um, all those types of things, you can really feel honestly like crap. And if you don't feel well about yourself, if you don't feel good about yourself, you're not going to make the sacrifices necessary sometimes in order to improve your well wellbeing. Um, I think a lot of women with PCOS are pushed to extremes because it can be challenging to lose weight. It can be challenging to overcome these things that are out of their control. So what I would tell people is to work on improving their mentality um, and decrease stress, because it, I, I really think it's a very mentally taxing uh, situation. And so you're not crazy. It's not the end of the world. You're still beautiful. You're still perfect. Um, and there are ways to improve your quality of life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, shifting your mindset around yeah. the condition. Um, and finding support from the right person, right? I feel like absolutely. Yeah, for someone who is really struggling, it's just reaching out, for help from the right person. Um, yeah. Which leads me to my final point, Priscilla. Where can people find you? Oh.
1: <laughs> um, on Instagram, I am at wellness.in.bloom. Uh, my company is Wellness and Bloom. And then I also have a Facebook page, Wellness and Bloom. Um, so, yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your personal story. with us And all of your insight.
1: Thanks, Danny. If you enjoyed this episode,
0: please subscribe to the channel and share with one friend who would benefit from this message. Need help with your nutrition? Find me on Instagram at Danny VRD or visit our website, pivotnutritioncoaching.com. Thanks for listening.